stop the signal. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Signal. This one's coming out a little bit late. Apologies for that, uh, but this one should be a good one. I brought Jake from Childerberg and Tasting Anarchy fame on, and we're going to be discussing a lot of things, a little bit of a uh, run around the bases, uh, but mostly, or the reason that I asked Jake to come on was to discuss the Evergrande uh, incoming possible default. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, that's well, it's, this, it's, uh, They've already defaulted. Oh, they already defaulted? Yeah, or they, okay. they missed one payment. They're, okay. I'll, I'll give updates. I'll give up. They're 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 <laughs> mid default. Yeah. Um. Uh. So it sounds like they missed a, a debt payment. Um. Uh. And so we just want to discuss that because it it has been heralded as a potential incoming black swan type of event that could uh be contagious to other sectors w- within China and maybe even um outside of China. So uh, we're going to give it its its due time here on the signal because it's pretty. It could be very important uh, for, I mean, really even down to you as the individual listener, uh, even if it takes some time. So, uh, Jake, do you want to lay the lay the the groundwork here on exactly who Evergrande is, what they've been doing, what their relationship yeah. is to the government, yada yada yada? Yeah. So, so this is something I started following this very loosely back in January because that's when this all started. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, this has been like, this has been kind of like that, like elephant in the closet or whatever. What's gotcha. the saying? I don't know. What elephant in the room. It's, yeah, elephant in the room for a while. Where in the closet, um, the gay elephant. Yeah, the gay. Yeah, it's deep. <laughs> we gotta in the go, we gotta get him out. We gotta get him out of the closet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so this Evergrande, they, everybody keeps com- comparing it to Lehman Brothers, and it's it's a it's a different type of company, and I'll explain why people compare it to Lehman Brothers in two thousand eight. Um, but Evergrande is a housing developer in China. Uh, and the, the reason this is kind of a big thing is that um, they've basically been operating a Ponzi scheme for the last 20 years or so. Uh, and the real estate market in China has, has like grown to be about a third of their economy. And Evergrande is a large percentage of that third. And so what they've been doing basically is as the housing market has expanded and the middle class is growing in China, Evergrande has been um, basically doing like a housing Ponzi scheme where they are selling houses that are not built and using that to fund the construction of houses that they sold previously and have mm-hmm. not finished building. So this has been going on for many years now and it kind of turned into a speculator's market where people were going, uh, oh, you know, because we're, we have so many houses that need to be sold and stuff like that, and, and so many people are entering the middle class and going to want to buy houses, they started buying multiple houses. Or they're not houses, they're usually apartments mm-hmm. um, in these like, huge skyscrapers. And so they'd be, so that is basically pushing housing prices up. And, you know, as a result, more people are entering, making costs go up, and then that pushes housing prices up even more. And so then the the Chinese government kind of um, didn't like this uh, because it was um, in well, what they're saying is because it increases inequality, and uh, so they kind of tapped the brakes a little bit. Not even a big deal; like they didn't even tap them that much. They were like, uh, the real estate market is growing a little bit too fast, um, so we're going to go ahead and clamp down. Um, on these apartment speculators and that clampdown 
sort of brought to light what was going on with Evergrande. And it is a huge mess. And the more you read about it, the more you're like, how did, I mean, people must have noticed this, but also like, how can a company operate this way (laughs) for as long as they have? So the, the, the CCP has this, um, policy where they call it the three lines policy. Uh, and it de- determines like how much debt you're allowed to bring to take on. And um, based off of like the way that works, the CCP basically told Evergrande, you can't take on any more debt. Uh, and that is kind of where they went, shit, uh, this is a, a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of this crackdown, uh, the de- so Evergrande is in pretty much every major city in China and they're building all of these apartment complexes. And basically because of this crackdown, all construction stopped mm. on, on these and they had, and it, it may not continue ever. And they already sold all those units plus units in buildings that they haven't even started building. So these are incomplete buildings that have been sold. All of the units in them have been sold and they have not started building buildings where units have already been sold. So it's, it's this kind of like weird situation where people have already paid for things and Evergrande doesn't have the money to build them. So, um, in a, di- I, I wrote a bunch of notes on this, so I'm kind of reading off my notes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that, that was kind of like one of the main things where like you're emphasizing that they've already sold something like 1.5 million houses fully or 1.5 million housing units, I guess mm-hmm. it's, they're not, like I said, they're not houses, they're apartments mostly, but doors. Um, yeah. They've, yeah, they've sold, they, they refer to them as like family dwellings or something like that. Yeah. In a lot of the, well, yeah. Dwell, dwelling units is what is a term in the, at least in the U S from an engineering standpoint for. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been selling a bunch of these. And, um, so additionally, uh, because of this kind of slowdown uh, and the the limit of their cash supply, the the company started paying contractors with unfinished buildings. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So like, so they, there was like, there's a company that like uh, that does a lot of their painting, and they received like thirty four million dollars in buildings that are not done. Jeez. And but the, this is part of the weird thing is like how do you how do you evaluate the the cost of an unfinished building because there's mm-hmm. not really, there's not really a, like in, in the case of what happened in the United States in 2008, at least the banks received finished housing that they could then resell theoretically, or they could rent out for less than they wanted to, but they, but theoretically people could use those and they could make some money back on them. In this case, these are buildings that are not suitable to live in yet. They're, they're not, they're not complete or haven't even been started in some cases. And, um, so in order for this to be something that is worth money, you have to find a very specific type of buyer who has either the ability to finish it, which means they have to take out a loan to finish it usually because these are expensive, or you would have to find somebody who has the connections to be able to hire people to finish it or has the connections to be able to sell it to somebody who can finish it. So it's not like a house where you know, if, if, if I went bankrupt and, you know, my house was up for sale or whatever, pretty much anybody could buy it. But if I went bankrupt and my house was 50% complete, 
it limits the market of the people who have the ability to buy it and use it. Um, so that's kind of one of the issues is they've been, they're, they're in like a really odd situation where they have a lot of incomplete things. So then they started cutting employee benefits and laying off employees, which is causing uh, labor issues or well, unemployment issues in China because they're such a large employer. Uh, and then they started asking local governments. So you know how like, I, I don't know how common this is in the United States because I don't have a lot of experience with apartment complexes, but there's um, they're called housing funds. And they basically, it's when you buy an apartment in that style of building, there's a housing fund and the housing fund is what's used to maintain the property. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an HOA essentially. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. So they've actually started asking local governments to take over the homeowners funds uh, so that they can't be seized in legal disputes. (laughs) So like they, and they've been doing this for a couple of months now that they are um, realizing that, this is coming and that they need to make sure that as much as possible can't be seized. Okay. Um, and like asking like local governments and stuff like that. So, and then another, um, big issue is that I don't know if I want to put this in this section or whatever, but uh, I'll go ahead and address it because it's in order of my notes is that most of their debt is dollar denominated. This was the fascinating part when we were texting about it. I did not know this. Yeah. So hang on a second. My dog is barking. I think it's because we have somebody at the door. One moment. All right. I closed my door. So this is, yeah, this is, I think, one of the most fascinating parts of it and why this gets so complicated and uh, and why this impacts the wider world so much. Um, and it's that, so um, I'm trying to, okay. So the the reason that it's it's a big deal that, it's denominated in dollars as opposed to in yuan is that, um, well, and I guess we'll, we'll go back a little bit is why would, why would a company take on dollar debt as opposed to their local currency? And the reason was that when Evergrande was getting a lot of this debt, their expectation was that relative to the yuan, the dollar would lose value. Okay. And okay. So, so they were, they were betting on more inflation monetary inflation of the US dollar so that they would in, in yes. essence pay less to pay it back. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And and a lot of companies in China and this is kind of the the seen and the unseen cockroaches in their economy is that uh-huh. apparently a lot of companies in China thought that the dollar was going to go down relative to their currency. Uh-huh. And because of a lot of it is because of COVID it's sort of counterintuitive is is we would think that if the government printed the United States Federal Reserve had made as much money as they made, the dollar would devalue, but it hasn't. And there's interesting reasons why. Mm-hmm. But as a result of the dollar strengthening relative to the yuan, this is making their debt basically unaffordable. Right. right. Um, <laughs> and uh, and to add on to that, you know, when the United States, when a company that's quote unquote too big to fail in the United States is becoming insolvent, you can um, you can get the Federal Reserve basically to print money to pay that debt. Yeah, you can print your way out. But now right. they don't have it. They don't own the printing yeah. presses from which they borrowed. Exactly. So if the government tries to print yuan to alleviate this debt, 
it decreases the value of yuan and increases the value of the dollar, <laughs> uh, making <yeah>. it making <laughs> it even worse. So, um, so that's kind of a key part of the problem, uh-huh. with, and why this is is because it, why this is such a big deal is because there's not really there's not really a good way out, and apparently nobody was really paying attention to how much dollar denominated debt these other countries were taking on, or in particular China, all these companies in China were taking on. Um, and it's like most of it, it's, it's like more than 50% of the debt that they've taken on. They they also have yuan denominated debt as well, but, mm-hmm. um, the dollar denominated debt is, is really the, the big problem. That's kind of the key issue. So, well, let me, um, hold on. Let's, yeah. let's pause there for a second, because that's an interesting thing. If this is systemic in China and other places, that could like ha- cause this like whipsaw deflationary uh, yes. reaction because all of the that money that they borrowed was probably uh, on a ten to one fractional reserve, and so when that debt gets eliminated through a default, then you're just getting rid of you're 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 getting rid of money supply, right? Or, or some, something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind of why I, we and I've discussed this a little bit before. This is like kind of another piece of the puzzle of why I think possibly we're looking at a deflationary bust rather than um, what intuitively you would think based on the money printing. Uh, you'd think that we're going into hyperinflation or, or like extreme inflation of some sort. But there's so many interesting things like this going on that is allowing the government to do what they're doing and not face the yeah. serious inflation consequences. I mean, like inflation's high right now, but not nearly as high as, I mean, from the Austrian perspective, when you print the money, I guess that's the inflation, but. Well, that's from, the monetary, mo- monetary yeah. inflation that, and, and that's what right. we would just call inflation. But then yeah. in, generally when you're speaking with people that are not necessarily students of Austrian economics, you would say, you would, you would say th- there's a difference between like monetary inflation and price inflation. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is one of the reasons why I think that maybe, um, it's going to go, it's going to basically be a deflationary bust because of the way the amount of people, well, there's a lot of things that are going on, but there's a lot of countries that were accepting yuan. And if the yuan is devalued in order to try to stop their economy from collapsing, then the dollar gains strength relative to other currencies as well. If the, and it, it increases dollar demand, and then it also increases dollar demand in China, which is a huge economy. Uh, so there's there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, and then I'll, I'll get into some of the other things that are, later on. That there's things going on here that also may be strengthening the dollar relative to other currencies, which makes this situ- whole situation even worse for China. Okay. Yeah. And, and before, uh, before we move on, I would, and I don't know if you've seen this, but I was reading through a tweet thread and I th- think it was from Foss, Greg Foss. Um, but they were, eh, maybe it's not, but, um, they were talking about the massive hyperinflationary event of the Deutschmark under the Weimar Republic. And, uh, you know, they were noting, you know, it's, it's easy to say, okay, from 19, you know, whatever it was, 21 to 1928, um, you, you know, it was worth X in 1921. It was worth, you know, Y in, in 1928. But if you zoom in and look at what it was worth in between, it was like crazy oscillating between it was, it was like experiencing inflation, hyper inflation and hyper deflation within months of each other. And I think that that's something that could like it long-term 
it's inflate like it's going to be an inflationary bust, yeah. I think. But in in between, I think. I, so I think I think if you're if if the the discussion is is it going to be an inflationary bust or a deflationary bust, I think saying the answer is both is entirely reasonable. Yes, yeah, and I think that's I think that's kind of where uh, a lot of a lot of libertarians that are kind of sympathetic to Bitcoin are starting to to see well i would say probably people who were maybe not on board with bitcoin like me i like who were not on board with bitcoin originally originally are starting to go oh i think i see what's going on here is that um it's like hyper shenanigans is it's yeah like it is it's so bonkers how this is all working and a lot of it i don't fully understand but uh it's I, I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to have a deflationary bust, which is going to freak people out, and then followed by insane inflation. I don't see how how inflation, like hyperinflation, the dollar being devalued completely, is. I don't see how that's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. But because of the wider world, I think that if dollar demand goes up high enough in the short term, your dollars will at least feel like they have a higher purchasing power. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess realistically they, they do, but I, I mean, I, I think that's just an opportunity to buy up assets if you can, that will then later on be denominated in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So um, to look out for that, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> just heads up everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if, if all of a sudden you're able to buy, you know, a, a Toyota Corolla or whatever for 50 bucks, then yeah. do it and then sell do it for it. Bitcoin in a couple months. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the Corolla maximalist to Bitcoin maximalist pipeline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, I, it, I think it, I think we are seeing this and I'll, and I'll get into kind of uh, some of the reasons why, uh, as I finish kind of summarizing. So one of the things I touched on earlier was that a lot of people have been comparing this to Lehman Brothers. And there, it's not exactly the same thing, but it does have a lot of similarities is that when when Lehman Brothers faced their crisis, it it kind of put the spotlight on a systemic issue in um, the way that the, the real estate debt market was working in the United States. And yeah. the, the reason why Evergrande is similar to that is because although... Evergrande is not, um, it's not the entire economy. The real estate, like the building part of their economy is a third of their economy. And if Evergrande is doing it and they're the largest and other people are still competing with them, it's likely that they were doing this also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and this is, this is yeah. systemic of like, I mean, you can see, and, and I, I don't want to cut you off for too long here, but this is like, this is, this is hallmark um Keynesian economics like where yes you you must um use growth to fund lagging uh uh expenses that the exactly. only way you you have to grow until you literally die that that's yes. that is that that's that's what it is it's not a savings and production uh, oriented approach to economics it's it's literally just growth for growth's sake and 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 you see this like you see this in um, cities that that start to go bust, like Detroit and 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 cities that that um, experienced periods of growth. It's very tempting to start to just expand, 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 and use all of the uh, income from those uh, initial lump sum payments as a city uh, by builders who are paying yeah. building permits and things like that to then finance all of your stupid shit. 
um, and say, yeah, we'll pay off the, the, the loans down the road, we'll pay off our debt down the road. But, uh, but then you, you come to another impasse, like let's say a debt ceiling discussion, like we're going to have next month. And it's like, okay, well we can either just grow some more, um, like lure people in to, to grow another development, um, or we have to pay this off. So let's just, let's just grow some more. And then, and then that'll just, you know, you just end up kicking the can, kicking the can and you end up way out over your skis where it sounds like this back in January, probably way before that, but where they say, uh, yeah, you can't exactly do X anymore. And this small speed bump in the road just causes a complete, complete yard sale. I mean, there's skis and poles going everywhere. Yeah. So, so yeah. So the, the other, the other parties, I guess, involved in this is other developers, but it's also banks, the banks in China. So the banks in China, as the, as their creditworthiness decreases because they keep getting downgraded and and a lot of these real estate companies are starting to get downgraded um in order for the bank to continue to hold that debt or hold the liability they have to have a larger amount of collateral mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. yeah so so that's kind of another issue is that these banks are going like oh crap a lot of a lot of our assets are in these you know grade a bonds or whatever but because their creditworthiness is now being downgraded, these bonds we can't hold these bonds as the as the full collateral anymore. We need oh. to actually start getting other things as well. Yeah, yeah, because they got downgraded from A to B, right? I think they're down. I think they're even lower than that now. I think they're. I think they got downgraded again, like Wednesday, Jeez. yesterday. Yeah. So and so. So the banks, so actually that's what the big thing on Monday was when we had like a big sell-off on the market. Uh, people were doing what they call risk-off. So they were pulling yeah. a lot of their stuff yeah. out. And and why I think also we saw Bitcoin drop as much as it did. I think it was down 11% or something like that yeah. on Monday. Big drop. And, um, and it's because I think a lot of these people who are speculating in Bitcoin, they need to cover margin or they need to cover other things. And so they pulled Bitcoin out to cover margin or to um, get in, get liquid so that they could, because uh, that's how they treat Bitcoin is, is not as a, as an, um, not as a liquid asset. So trying to get into currency. Anyways, um, the issue is that, so these banks, so this is what the Chinese central bank did actually on, uh, I think it was on Sunday that they did this is, is as, um, as this debt become became worse debt and banks needed to have more assets to uh, to basically more collateral to cover the debt, they this kind of sparked. It wasn't a run exactly, but it was. They were very worried about a run, and so the central bank through the reverse repo market l- gave a lot of liquidity to the banks, mm-hmm. and because it was giving a lot of liquidity to the banks, the dollar strengthened relative to the yuan. Okay, yeah, and and Evergrande's payment on its dollar denominated bonds was due Monday mm-hmm. in dollars, yeah, <laughs> which were now worth more than they were mm-hmm. than yeah. <laughs> a couple of days prior. Yeah. So, yep. so, so that was part of the, that's part of the issue. So this is another thing with the, with the, the way that the reverse repo markets works. And I don't have a good summary on this. And to me, it's complicated and I don't understand it fully, but um the way that the reverse repo markets work in the United States is that it actually ends up trapping cash up in the banking sector, which raises the dollar demand because there's not as much 
dollars available for people to use for normal use cases. Right. Like liquid dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so because, because of the way that that works in the U S and what the federal reserve is doing, which is making this problem worse for China and therefore worse for us is partially because of the reverse repo market and the money that's coming out of circulation in the United States with a a rising demand of dollars overseas, which then basically you're taking stuff out of circulation that people are demanding, which makes the price go up. And um, so that's why Evergrande on, I think it was on Monday, might've been Tuesday, uh, missed their dollar denominated bond payments. And they issued a statement saying that they were going to make their yuan. It was very, didn't, it wasn't a very clear statement, but they were just basically saying they were going to make their yuan payments, which everybody read as the government's going to figure out a way to help us make these yuan payments. Right. And um, it seems like that may not have been what happened <clears throat> because no payment was made, but also they it was not considered by the bondholders a default. So it seems like what actually happened was um, with CCP help, they were able to get their... Uh, the people who gave them the loans to restructure their yuan debt. And um, I'll get into the dollar restructuring debt as well, because that is something that has happened more recently that it seems like that may actually be a possibility. But um, so, yeah, so in, I, I wrote down on the note. So in order to basically combat the liquidity issue um, to the banks, the central bank gave them money. Um, and then that that made the dollar technically worth more relative to the yuan, which made the problem worse. Uh, and then, so ever uh, so Evergrande to try to help the situation. <laughs> um, well, this is actually a little bit before this. This is not this week. This happened uh, several weeks ago. In order to try to help their cash flow situation, they gave their employees a choice, and the choice was basically give us cash or lose your bonus in the future. <laughs> And so I don't, this makes no sense to me. And this may be like a Chinese mentality versus like an American mentality. If my boss asked me for a loan, I'm out. I'm out <laughs> yeah. the door. Oh like, yeah. That's a major <laughs> red flag. Major yeah. red flag. But apparently what the employees did there was they went, took out loans, personal loans, went and borrowed money from their families and gave that money to Evergrande and Evergrande wasn't able to get liquid enough for it to make a difference. So now you have a huge number of employees who are now also in debt, trying to keep the company that they work for afloat. Um, and it still appears that the company is not going to be solvent. So um, then uh, this is, so this also kind of adds to why everything was going crazy earlier this week was also the Chinese credit default swap market, which is credit default swap for the listeners or for anybody who doesn't know is basically insurance on debts, right? Yep. So it basically like shot up and went insane. Um, and so basically this insurance, when it, shot up, they don't think that the people who hold the credit default swaps are going to be able to cover the default swaps either. So, um, and so this also added to dollar demand 
because this is a lot of this is denominated in yuan. And if they think that, so the notes that I wrote down, I said, so this also adds to dollar demand. Um, when investors see a huge spike in credit default swaps, uh, they try to go to quote unquote safe assets, right? Mm -hmm. So the safest asset for a Chinese investor is US dollars right now, or from their perspective, or yeah. from really any investor that's inv involved in China. So yeah. when you saw this, these credit default swaps spike, you also saw US 10 year treasuries spike which sure. means the dollar is now much more expensive. Yes. <laughs> and because and because Evergrande holds the majority of their debt in USD, now their debt is much more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh so And round and round we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's just it's it it keeps going. So so basically like on my next section of notes or whatever I said. So so what is uh China likely to do as a result of this and um it's not clear uh although we did get some more information uh, this week. And, uh, so, but the things that they could do because they, again, they don't have the dollar money printer. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's not a huge amount they can do. They can kind of try to work with the United States on this to try to figure out how to alleviate this debt, but it's a lot of money. It's, it's, uh, multiple hundreds of billions of dollars. And, um, so, they refer to this as disinflation, which is basically deflation, I guess. But um, so the other things that are kind of impact, so it's not really clear what China wants to do, but there's other things also going on in the United States that have, that impact this. And then, and this is the disinflation part is, is um, also the, the last two weeks, the U S ports uh, basically announced that they're going to go into extended hours into processing shipments into the United States. So if now more products are available, CPI goes down. Okay. And if CPI is lower, then dollar demand is higher. And with a higher dollar demand, um, the debt gets more expensive for yep. Evergrade. Right. right. So also, this happened, um, I think this month actually as well, the Fed liquidated its corporate bond portfolio. So in order to liquidate your, your corporate bond portfolio, the Fed basically put, it wasn't a lot. I think it was like $16 billion or something like that. But I mean, relative to what the Fed does, um, they basically, they are now taking, they're putting those bonds back into the general market and taking the cash that was in the market out. So now there's less liquidity in the market. Again, fewer dollars in circulation, higher dollar demand. Makes the debt for Evergrade worse. Jeez. Then you have... Yeah, then you have the, the U.S. reverse repo market, which we touched on, where because of the way that it works, the banks are having to hold more cash, and that cash is not in circulation, which creates a higher dollar demand and makes that debt worse. And then, um, so yeah, basically, all of this money, you know, the money printer go burr meme on Twitter is correct, but it's also, there's a lot of other things at play that are making it so that a lot of this money is not entering the economy. And then in addition to that, the unemployment benefits are running out and the stimulus, uh, the stimulus is basically gone. So, yep. um, so now with not with all this sort of lack of liquidity, this, this dollar denominated debt is becoming so ungodly expensive for not just Evergrande, but a lot of these companies that, that took this debt out because they were betting that the US dollar would be going down. Um, so where does that kind of put us now? Um, and it, it, 
it seems like after the initial scare, U.S. markets just don't care about it for whatever reason. They just like, all right, whatever. I mean, the market, like, what was the Dow up today? Like, the Dow was up one and a half percent today. Uh, I think it was yesterday. I think it was up another one uh, percent. Like the Nasdaq, the S and P, all up over one percent. Or I guess the Nasdaq is just under one percent. But um, it seems like, <laughs> for whatever reason, the market just doesn't really care about this at all. Like the the American market. Uh, not anymore. They cared Monday. Um, and then we had the Fed meeting on Wednesday. And what the F- Fed said was um, basically that they're not going to do, or they're just going to stay the course. They plan on continuing with their tapering plans. Um, uh, the ch- uh, Fed Powell, Chairman Powell, uh, said that basically th- this is insane to me, and I don't think this is going to happen. But this also exacerbates the issue with Evergrande. And that is that He's saying that in the next six months, we're going to go from $120 billion a month in asset purchases to zero. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But that's what he's saying, which makes people look into the future and go, okay, well, we, we're going to buy treasuries because now we're the, the dollar demand's higher. So we're going to uh, basically raise the price of the dollar even more and mm-hmm. Evergrande's going, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, and then, um, so, but then it looks like that. Uh, so Evergrande has, has somehow made deals with the, the local bondholders in China uh, to defer payments for the Yuan stuff. So they are, that, that has helped and they're staying liquid. And then um, it seemed like China wasn't going to do anything about this. Uh, the consensus it was that China was just not going to do anything. They were just going to, and and it, and their their government is a little bit different. I think in, in ours is a lot of times their government just like really hardcore stays the course. They do they make a decision, then they're like, we're just going to ride this until the end. And mm-hmm. it seemed like they were going to do nothing, which seemed really kind of odd uh, because it is well. Evergrande is not a third of their economy, but the real estate market is a third of their economy. It's a huge portion of their economy. Um, and and Evergrande makes up a huge portion of that. And also, if Evergrande was doing this, everybody else was doing it. Um, but it looks like now the CCP has decided they're going to make basically take over Evergrande, make it a state-owned corporation, um, and break it into three corporations. And sort of spread that debt out and consume the debt as the government. So um, it's not clear how they're going to do that other than basically just telling everybody who holds the debt, deal with it mm-hmm. and we'll pay you when we can pay you. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of speculation that even if China does this, because it seems like the economy is about to turn over, uh, because all of the stimulus is gone now, unless they unless they do more stimulus and raise the debt ceiling and all that sort of stuff. If the economy turns over and dollar demand rises, and then the Chinese government holds all this debt, they're just going to default. And then that's going to be also something that just crashes the world economy. Uh, and I'm, I don't really... Oh, oh, this is another thing too. Um, the Federal Reserve, this is really funny too, because they issued a statement that was basically, it was on the repo markets and they were the reverse repo markets. And they were basically like, oh, there's no news or whatever, but there's a link on it. And if you click the link, it brings it to an amendment statement. 
And the amendment says, we're changing the repo limit from $80 billion to $160 billion. Oh, and just a cool doubling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, but like totally under the radar. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> but, uh, but they say the reason that, or well, the, the speculation on the reason they're doing this is because uh, quantitative easing, um, which is what the Federal Reserve has been doing by buying assets is they're, they're trying to put more liquidity into the market. But what this does is it suppresses interest rates. And so if interest rates are lower, then investors are, um, they're, they're not, they're not willing to buy bonds. And so the government is also not solvent if they can't sell treasuries. And since the, the rates are so low, a lot of, a lot of people who would typically buy those corporates and banks who would typically buy those are just staying in cash. So they're receiving all of this quantitative easing money, but just kind of stacking it uh -huh. and not doing anything with it because there's based off of what the projection for inflation is, even if you buy a 10 year treasury at, you know, the highest rate you can buy it at currently, effectively that's a negative interest rate. Yeah. So there's no reason to buy one. So well, this is, the only it's, it's, re it's, the reason to buy one would be that you think that you can sell it mm -hmm. at a lower rate, and right. you think that a central bank is going to come in and buy the rate down, in which you can, yeah. in, in which case, so it's like it's just a, it's just a, uh, yeah. But yes. so this is what's weird though about it is that the Federal Reserve has increased the overnight reverse repo limit, which it puts upward pressure on interest rates. But they are continuing to do QE, which puts downward pressure on interest rates. And it's it's one of those things where you get to this point in the like bizarre situation and you go, there's no way to solve this. And they know it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just taking uppers and downers and going to meet God. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, this, is, this is like they're they're they're. It's just like when when a politician comes in and goes like, uh, "We need new, better roads, but we also want a light rail system." And you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, but the but the roads compete with yeah the with the light rail." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you doing both? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, what a what a mess. I did read uh, this that. Um, and these broad, broadly speaking there, you know, as you were highlighting earlier, the debt, the debts that Evergrande own owes to other people roughly break down to um, actually two thirds, which is kind of insane to think about to act to, to like more or less individuals or small businesses that for whom they promised housing essentially um, and never built houses. And then about one third is actually owed to any sort of institutional grade bank, um, which would translate to about a hundred billion. Um, so yeah. two hundred billion to to individuals and probably small businesses or maybe even small banks. I'm not sure exactly how that you know where that limit is drawn. And then about a mm -hmm. hundred billion or a third of it to to institutional institutional grade banks, which you know not to minimize the situation, but. A hundred billion owed to institutional grade banks is is kind of a drop in the bucket globally. Um, yeah, not saying that it couldn't trigger. You know, when you're out over your skis, like everybody is, the smallest hiccup can can trigger. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but I, I do 
you know, it's just an interesting, the whole, the whole, um, the, just the idea that they're largely in debt to individuals is just really bizarre. I mean, it's just a, it's just a very, it's just something that I don't know that I've ever consciously seen before. I'm sure it's happened, I guess on some scale, but, uh, it's just a really bizarre state of affairs. Well, and it seems like this is something that happens overseas a lot. Um, so there, I think it was Serbia. They had this bizarre Ponzi scheme there that started a civil war where everybody was involved in this like weird MLM company, <laughs> including the government. <laughs> and yeah. And like, and it ended up starting a civil war because it got to the point where everybody was in the company. And so there was no more, there was no more Ponzi yeah. available. There was no more growth. There was no more <laughs> <Yeah>. available growth. <laughs> right. Right. So, and then, and they just basically went, whoops war time (laughs) yeah and yeah they i mean they went to war over and it's kind of one of those things too where in this case it's kind of the same thing it's like everybody like every you know the little people i guess would be they're the ones who are kind of between a rock and a hard place on this it's not it's not like it's not big banks or anything like that it's like it is it's 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 the employees gave them loans they sold houses before they were built like it's all of these things. It, it's just, it's so crazy that like that. I don't want to say it's so crazy that this was allowed to happen, but it's so crazy that, that they don't have like a Chinese Ron Paul who was like, you know, 15 years ago going, and maybe they do, but uh, who was going like, this is insane. There's going to be a housing collapse. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of, it is kind of that thing. And then there was also something else that I thought about, while I was walking the dogs earlier today and kind of thinking about this a little bit was all of these people that they sold houses to currently live somewhere. Yeah. So they're, they're theoretically occupying two properties. Yeah. Which if these things ever become built, what happens to the property values when all of those people move into the new buildings? Oh yeah. The old sure. Buildings? Sure. Yeah. Like would that also create a, like a real estate crash? Cause it's, I, I don't I don't know what the like that I don't know how much like it could be that everybody's like you know crammed into these apartments like tend to an apartment you know my wife's from Ukraine and they lived in uh, high rises kind of like this as well much more much more common to live in a high rise in former Soviet countries than it is for the United States and um, you know if you if you buy like a two bedroom apartment in somewhere like Ukraine it's a bedroom and then the living room is the other bedroom but they uh-huh. sell it as a two bedroom. And so like the number of people that can like occupy that is sort of, I wouldn't say it's higher, but they're more comfortable with, you know, five people living in a quote unquote two bedroom apartment, which we would call a one bedroom than, um, than we would be. I would say a one bedroom apartment, two people max is how yeah, that works out. But overseas they do cram a lot more people into it but if they have this kind of emerging middle class where now they have these expectations that they're going to live more like americans where you get a two-bedroom apartment and you have a your your small family in the two-bedroom apartment um it kind of changes the situation so i don't know i don't know what that like that it's just something i was thinking about um i don't know how that would even play into this at all but it's it kind of also one of the things too you you watch Tim Pool occasionally, like me. Actually, I, I listen. I probably watch it more than occasionally. But um, you know how they're always very hawkish on China. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's things like this that make me go. That, and and actually, Pete brought this up when he was on there. 
where he was like, most of their farmers still do farming the same way they did it like a thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. Their debt to GDP ratio is insane. You've got things like this China Evergrande thing going on that's also insane. And they are printing yuan like it's going out of style, which it is. And um, even other countries are no longer accepting yuan. And th so this is another reason why, and maybe this will kind of transition into the other the th other thing we mentioned earlier, is why I think maybe we're heading for a deflationary bust. Other countries are not accepting Chinese currency anymore. And so that puts a higher demand on dollars. Yeah. This All this stuff is going on in China. The Chinese are not accepting yuan anymore, which puts a higher demand on dollars. And so we've got this bizarre situation that we find ourselves in where money printer for sure go burr, but also people want it. And it's weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like I, I was talking about this. I think it was with Eric or somebody, somebody like a year ago on, on my on either my show or his show or TLE or something. But there's there's a lot to be said for just the dirty or the, the cleanest shirt in the laundry. Like, And most people don't most people. Well, clearly, most people don't really know or understand Bitcoin. Um then the next level is gold or, or, or commodities. And most people don't even care or know about them. I mean, if you're talking about just the majority of the globe, like the global population. And so when you think about it like that, and you think about 7 billion people living here um, and w when shit goes down, where do you want to flee to? Plus the, the, the 80 years of hegemonic rule of the U U.S. dollar around the world and it and the, and the momentum behind it always being there for you and always working that's where people flee yeah and, so and i think that's i think that's a kind of a good way to put it it's it's as americans we we see what's going on and we go how is this going to work but we in a lot of ways we're very inwardly focused and i think most countries are yeah um and when we're very inwardly focused we go like how can this continue we also forget that there's a lot of stuff going on elsewhere i mean like the eu did negative interest rates yeah, oh yeah we it's never, a disaster over that. there yeah disaster and yeah so like there's things like that where yeah it is the cleanest shirt in the laundry it's it's this type of thing is happening in china which we did something similar but we're also they also did this their country entered the modern age in the 70s mm-hmm the United States has been basically the dominant force in the world for a hundred years. And we didn't leave, we didn't fully leave the gold standard until the seventies. Yeah. So like, it's a different situation. It's, I, and Pete actually said this on, on temple where he was like, what we did, what took us 250 years or whatever to do, they did in 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it is a different situation. And when you kind of look at it and you go, um, do I want to be in dollars, which has like a clear track record of, you know, we have, we have had depressions, we have had recessions, but, and it has a very clear track record of coming back. Or do I want to be in Yuan? Um, and then also like just a lot of the stuff that China says is crazy. Like it doesn't, it, it's just not going to happen. Like that whole belt and road thing that everybody's always worried about. It's, just, yeah. it's not going to happen. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand why people are concerned about it. Mm -hmm. like it, it makes no sense. No, like I, we, I mean, yeah, just broadly speaking, <clears throat> you, you know, I've, I've pretty much always occupied the, 
the the side of China's a paper tiger just be, for the same reason that I hope I would have occupied the same position about the Soviet Union. I mean, they're capable yeah. of damage, no no doubt. But at the end of the day, it's a centrally planned economy and it's a house of cards. Right. Which is which is kind of one of the things like I always wondered about, like during the Cold War, like clearly nobody who was a Cold Warrior really believes in capitalism. Right. Yeah. yeah for you, sure. You know that you know it's going to be it's going to succeed because it because. I mean, Mises proved it a mm-hmm. hundred years ago. Yeah. In so the twenties. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, why would like, why would during the cold war, why would you even be that concerned about it? And and then if you even, and if you follow the money and the same thing with China, if you follow the money, you know, the buck stops here, it comes back mm-hmm. to the United States. Oh, yeah, that's it comes back that's to where Wall this all, <laughs> yeah. it always comes back here. So, yep. so it's like one of those things, like, why are you concerned? And I think, but I think that this is, I guess the silver lining of this is, um, and I, and we did see it on, on Monday. If you look at Bitcoin here, I'll pull up a daily chart just on my, on my computer real quick for Bitcoin. I, I always look at the daily charts on, uh, Bitcoin. Um, it, it, you see that like on Monday it lost, what was this? It went from, well, it's always open, but like from a, a daily chart perspective, it went from 47,000 to the day quote unquote closed at, 42,000, uh, 42, 43,000 about. So it went from mm-hmm. 47 to 43,000, um, pretty big drop. Uh, and it's coming back and like, and according to my chart, it's actually in a bear pattern, but, um, you know, who, who really cares about that? Uh, but if you kind of zoom out and just look at Bitcoin, it's like, yeah, I mean, like, it, it does take these dips and it does follow things in the market, but overall it's going up and, I'm not even really worried about it going up relative to the dollar because I think that we have this, the denominator flipped. It should be dollar versus Bitcoin, not Bitcoin versus dollar. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Does that yeah, make oh, sense? Yeah. 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 So 100%. like that, that's the problem. I, and granted, I don't in mentally, like a lot of times it's hard for me to like convert that in my head. Um, not like if you go to, you know, Britain or whatever. And you're like, Oh, that's X number of pounds. And you're like, I know that that's X number of dollars. I can't do that in my head with Bitcoin yet, but yeah, just looking at things like this, what's going on with, uh, Evergrande, what, and, and how that is being affected by what's going on with the fed. And then when you start kind of trying to explain a lot of this stuff and figure out how this impacts that, and then they have these like, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. When they say Bitcoin is unstable, they're saying it's unstable relative to the dollar, which doesn't mm-hmm. mean that Bitcoin is unstable. It means the dollar is unstable. Yeah, you can certainly look at it like that because yeah. the Bitcoin supply is known. Right, exactly. That that's that's uh, that's the that's the way I wanted to put it. Is yeah. you you know what is going on with Bitcoin even if relative to the dollar it's going up and down. It's it's events that impact the dollar that impact Bitcoin. It's not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like yeah, big, it's Bitcoin has followed a fixed supply since two thousand nine, and will continue to right. follow a fixed supply distribution until twenty one forty or thereabouts. Yeah. And that's and, and, it's and not, I, uh, yeah. And, and I and, guess there, I guess things like demand do do affect Bitcoin. Oh, oh, for sure. Not, yeah. There's not there's not demand there's not demand events like this that impact the value of Bitcoin. It's. Mm-hmm. The, the reason Evergrande has an issue is because of meddling of multiple parties in the valuation of the dollar. Yeah. You can't 
you can't meddle in the valuation of Bitcoin. And I think that might be the silver lining is that this situation in a hard money system, Bitcoin aside, in a hard money system, this doesn't happen. Yeah. So I, that, that's why like a lot of times I, I become like dumb, dumbfounded about this where I'm like, I know that a lot of people are getting rich and I know a lot of people are, are very greedy on this, but at the same time, like greed doesn't explain. Well, actually, I guess, I guess what explains it is high time preference and low time preference. I guess that's, that's what explains it is it, it just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it, it's yeah. just how, how you get so wrapped up, like how you get, you know, it, it, sometimes explaining the, well, Anytime you try to explain any sort of macro fiscal situation, it feels like you're explaining um, why you should be rooting for X tribe or people in the Middle East against anyone else. It's like, mm-hmm. who the fuck? Ne- like, well, they used to be allied with this. They used to be, but if they do this, then these guys don't like that. And then this, you know, it's like at some point you're just like, oh my god, like, what, like what is going yeah. on here? You know, everybody's got everybody's competing with each other and working with each other, and has you know derivatives out against this guy, and also at the same time for this guy, and it, it's just like, yeah, it's it, a, it, it's, it's a yeah, mess because it is it is a mess, and it's it's such an interesting situation. But I think what um, sort of kind of bring it back to the deflationary bust thing is is I think a lot of this. This is sort of an well. Everything's an opportunity for Bitcoin, as uh, Bitcoin people talk about. Yes, it. yes. Um, everything is good for Bitcoin. Yeah. So, I think what's going to happen is that in the near term, um, and by near term I mean within probably the next year. Although you and I talk about this a lot, where like I think this may happen way faster than I expect. Mm-hmm. But because it's gone from like I think from when you and I met. The collapse of the United States was 50 years out, I think, was my prediction back then. Mm-hmm. And then I think maybe a year after that, it was like 25. And then I think in the like the last year, 10. And then I think we started talking about it like halfway through this whole pandemic thing. And I was like, oh, five years. And I'm not even sure if it makes it past 2022 now. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've said it on TLE and, and I'm like, and, and like, as people know, I'm not like a doomer, like, and I'm not mm-hmm. someone that is out here being like the, the end is nigh and, and collapse is here tomorrow. But my, when you look at the global landscape and also you look at Bitcoin and all of these peer to peer technologies, um, and the tremendous amount of growing unrest and distrust with, uh, with, with existing, uh, institutions and power structures and organizations. I don't really understand how the trust will be available to have another presidential election. For yeah. for example, like like like, can you imagine going into another presidential election right now? Like that would be yeah. like we imagine. Just imagine if they theoretically, twenty twenty two was not a midterm; it was actually a presidential election, and we were getting into the debate cycle right now. What does that look like? It, it just feels like this, the, the same feelings that we've had for a long time, which is kind of I don't really care about any of this. These institutions, they don't serve me, has just spread like wildfire to everybody, even if they're not willing to consciously admit it. Yeah. Well, and I think like one of the one of the to, you know, to say white pill, I guess the white pill situations was that Sarah Silverman. Um, who I, I really I used to, I really liked Sarah Silverman when I was younger. Um, yeah, she's she's. She's legitimately she's funny. funny. Yeah. yeah. She's a legitimately funny woman. And that's like, I, I'm not trying to like, which is rare. 
be sexist, you know, but it just is. Yeah, yeah, most women I just don't find them funny at all, like at all. Yeah. But yeah, and, I, and there's a lot of reasons why that is. Is I think a lot of female comedians like they they're trying to be the dudes or they like the guy yeah. or whatever. And, uh-huh. and but she, I think she leans in. She does that a little bit, but I think she kind of leans into being a good, just a good comedian in general. Yes. Um, yeah. But and, and I don't really care for her newer stuff. But I used to love the Sarah Silverman show on Cartoon or on uh, Comedy Central. Sure. Yeah. She, she had these. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, I'll, I'll reminisce about it before we get into it, but one of my favorite episodes is, this was back when like marijuana was still pretty taboo, mm-hmm. and um, her her um, neighbors were the, was this two, these two uh, ginger fat guys that were gay. Uh, they were a couple, they're, they're, they're also comedians that are really funny, I can't remember who they are off the top of my head, but they, they're big potheads, and then they get prescribed medical marijuana in pill form. But they, but when they get it, they don't realize it's a. They, they're like, this is weird marijuana, and but they, and so they decide to smoke it, <laughs> and in like this like high concentrated THC yeah, pills, yeah, yeah. and like they're like in the entire episode they're freaking out <laughs> because they. But it was it was very funny, and especially like to to think back on it, like that was such a taboo topic back then. We've made a lot of progress, I think, in that realm, and and that kind of I guess goes to show like the left does have. A lot to offer i don't want to like demonize them as much but she's extremely extremely left and even people like that are kind of going um and, and her you know to summarize her talk or whatever on twitter was that she was like when a couple doesn't get along they break up and things are better mm-hmm. it may be sad um but you know that's what happens they break up and she says why don't we break up into two or three Americas. Like clearly we're, we're not getting along. We maybe will be better if we split up. And if you want to come over to our country, you got to take a vaccine. And that's that. And I think that is the most reasonable position. And that's why I think, I think it's more likely that we're going to have an amicable referendum on the country splitting up in 2024 than an amicable presidential election. We may have a presidential election. No matter who wants, half of the country is not going to accept it. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I think agreed. that's kind of where we're at. And I think that, but with all that being a little bit scary and a little bit um, like worrisome, if we have a deflationary bust like I expect, this is a great opportunity to buy up assets that will either be worth more Bitcoin later, or if we see what we saw on Monday where Bitcoin has a huge dip because a lot of people have to liquidate to cover margin, you have an opportunity to buy Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. that's probably the better bet. Yes, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think there is opportunity. Well, I don't know. I I, I, I think that that's the safe bet. And I'm not even sure if I want to float any other uh, yeah. Any, anything else because I, I just i that that's what i've been convinced of for a while now um and i you know the the certainty that bitcoin brings and i and i, and I heard it described by somebody it might have been pierre shard um as bitcoin might be incredibly risky but it's not uncertain it's incredibly certain um right. it's the 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 consensus rules will remain intact um until the last miner stops mining if that if it goes to zero um 
and and that's there there is there's some comfort there and especially in such a chaotic world where where there is so much uncertainty you can you know you can just say well you know I don't know what Bitcoin is going to be worth uh, tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to be worth in five years, 10 years. I can I can look at a trend and say, well, if this continues, I mean, what, what's going to stop it, I guess, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and if this continues, I, I can bet that it's going to be worth more, I think. And if, you know, if it's unconfiscatable and censorship resistant, why why am I not in this? Why Why, yeah. why am I not at least using this to preserve a portion of my wealth just in case shit really does get weird. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. And and then I I think another silver lining in just in the hard money argument of a lot of this is um, to go back to kind of, kind of real estate. This is something I think about quite a bit. And probably one of the reasons I was so interested in the Evergrande thing is in a hard money system, houses should be a depreciating asset asset. Yeah. They are yeah. a decaying product. They lose value as they get older. But for some reason in our society, that's backward. And your house gains value over time. And this should be something that I think the left, like left-wing people who care about the poor and that sort of stuff, well, really anybody who cares about the poor should get on board with is the, one of the reasons why used cars are a good thing is because people who cannot afford a new car can afford a used car, except for in this last year when all of this stuff has gone bonkers. But that's how things should work, is that people who have more wealth available to purchase new products get a new product, and then eventually they sell it as a used product, and that gives an opportunity to poorer people to have a product that's used. Mm -hmm. And housing is a depreciating asset, the same as a car. Mm-hmm. Over time, they wear out, they get worse, you have to do repairs. And right now we have a lot of problems in places like California where housing is, I think that they just passed the median price of $800,000 in California. And I could not afford that. <laughs> and I do pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I, man. I mean, I, it's... I, it's insane. And so... If, if we're going to enter a hard, like if you're a compassionate person on the left and you want to solve things like homelessness, what you want is things to be priced accurately. And a house as a depreciating asset is not currently priced accurate, accurately, which makes it so that it's harder for homeless people to afford housing. Yeah. It makes no sense that I think that I, I don't have it pulled up right now, but I think it was showing that currently in Shanghai, one of the places where Evergrande builds buildings, um, the median house house price is 50 times the annual income. Jeez. And like that is ludicrous if you care about poor people. Yeah, like, yeah. Now, it, it, I, I, w- I would... I would I would offer a little bit of pushback. I don't know about Shanghai mm-hmm. specifically, but but you know, in some cases, you are buying location. You know, um, yeah. and that location can be as demand goes up. Like, take 
Seattle, for example. Um, right. and, and, you know, Seattle has some very legitimate reasons to be valued. It's a port city. Yeah. Um, and, 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 it, and it's also got the mountains on one side. So it is exactly really, the space you is have, limited. You yeah. have, you have a pretty much a hard cap on, on supply, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to some degree. Um, and then, and then as it, as demand increases, price must adjust. Um, yeah. but yeah, but by, by and large, what you're saying, like, and, and that's, and that's a separation also of land and the actual house. Like the house is, right. de- is a depreciating asset. The land may or may not be. Well, that yeah, that's that's true, it, it, and I think that w- that's one of the issues that. Um, so, like, there, there's I, I should look up the chart actually, but there's a, there's a really chart where a really interesting chart where it shows like Hong Kong, Shanghai, like all these Chinese cities versus American cities, and like the most expensive American city is like 15 times your the average annual salary. Yeah, um, which I think is San Francisco. I think is the highest, uh, and but in China all of it's over 40 times the annual salary. And Jeez. like, that's, it's like, it's, it's bizarre that that hasn't really come up a lot, but also to sort of the, the depreciating asset thing is that it's not that your house is worth more. It's that your money is worth less. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the issue. And it's, it's um, like, I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to do is like give it like a silver lining is it, a hard money society when the United States, whether or not the United States breaks up, I guess is, is irrelevant. But when we reachieve hard money, I guess everything is going to be so much better for everybody. Yes. And I think that that is that people really need to get on board with that. Like this story of Evergrande is only because of fiat money. Yes. This doesn't happen at least not to this scale. Maybe it'll happen like in one building. It doesn't happen systemically. Yeah, it does not happen. Like this is insane. It's it's not just China. It's everywhere. And it's because of fiat money. Yeah. And and, and I mean, to put a, even a finer point on it, I mean, you like you can say, yes, it's insane to buy a house for 40 times your um, uh, your your income in San Francisco. You know, it's more insane to buy what. It, it, not your house for 40 times your income in Shanghai because it doesn't right. get built. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, it's totally nuts. Yeah. And I, and I guess sort of like to talk to like the listeners who are like opposed to lockdowns as well. Lockdowns don't happen in a hard money system. Yeah. No, no way. It, it, you just can't do it. Like, it's just, it's not the power to do this is not there. And you can't tell people stay in your house if they're going to starve to death. The only reason that people stayed in their house is because things were relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but. Well, like, you, at the keep, end of the day, yeah. you're just not going to have, you're not going to have the, um, you're probably not going to have the manpower to keep people in their houses. Uh, right. Um, and, and people, you know, under hard money systems, traditionally people are a lot more independent. Um, and a lot more self-sufficient and, uh, and, and some jabroni 3000 miles away suggesting that they should probably stay in their house is, is merely that a suggestion. It's not going to be, um, it's not going to be culturally compatible, uh, in most likely, uh, with, with any, any one area. I mean, you know, and, and I, and I, people probably get tired of me talking about Fort Worth and the, and the, and the bottom line is Fort Worth is not a, like what I, it's not the, my, Without the COVID stuff, it's not my favorite place I've ever lived. It's not this shining, gleaming city, but its strength really shown, like showed in it during the lockdowns, 
Yeah. And the truth is that Fort Worth is wealthy. They're very independently wealthy. A lot of people here, a lot of people are oil and gas and they're involved in the energy markets. And it just has a culture that is not going to support, at least not without tremendous, tremendous pressure, the fiat bullshit lockdown stuff. Um, yeah. People are just very independent and they're not by and large de- dependent. You know, the, the real movers and shakers here, are the people that are directing policy, the people that are part of advocacy groups like restaurant advocacy groups and stuff like that are just not they're not taking I, I mean, I'm sure they'll take handouts that come their way. I'm not saying that they're pure, but uh, there there's enough wealth and money here that they're just they're just like, no, we're not, you know, we're not we're not doing that like that not not really now some some parts did but but uh you know if you have a place that's super dependent on federal handouts um or state handouts or anything like that that's not uh doesn't have the 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 fiber uh the moral fiber and the culture of independence and sovereignty you're you're gonna get railroaded yeah yeah i think that i think that's been been very apparent in texas not just with fort worth but all of the towns like the little towns that i've seen between uh, DFW and um, where Childerberg is. Yeah. All these little towns where we stopped, like even in, at Childerberg Dose, where uh, we were under so, supposedly hard lockdown still, mm-hmm. none of those small towns were closed. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And they just don't have no yeah. masks. No. Nobody enforced. Maybe you saw a couple or whatever, but yeah. for the most, like I remember talk, like talking for about 10 minutes with this big old fat guy across the street from uh, the, you know, the coffee cup. Or uh, yeah, in a um, kitchen or whatever in in, um, uh, in a wake or in a Heiko, 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 yeah. Um, so there's like a there's that like uh, it's like a sitgo or something like that across the street from it. Yeah, and I stopped there to get Diet Dr Pepper because that's what I drink. Sure. And um, big old fat guy was like, "Well, hey, how's it going?" And I was like, oh, "Uh, going well." And he and you know just and this was during like height of lockdown. Yeah. And he's he's telling me. About like his plans for the weekend. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Like it's just great. Ma- like, just major like, white pill. Major white pill. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and he's like, so you hear about this COVID thing? And I'm like, <laughs> hear of about it? I have. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, uh, I guess so. And he's he's like, yeah, they say we're supposed to wear a mask, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, cool. He's like, they put they put this piece of plastic up in front of me, but I just take it down when I'm here. <laughs> like, oh, that's funny, man. I mean, it was it was really funny, but it's but it's sort of the same thing as like, and, and I that kind of like juxtaposed through this whole last year, I realized how shitty Dallas is. Oh my and, god, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it truly is a different place. Like, I, I only go oh over there gosh, very, yeah. when I when I absolutely have to, and uh, yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. Well, we haven't been over there in a long time, and, and I shared this on my show. We went over to they have a uh, a garden, the Discovery Garden there, and it's got a, a big old butterfly house there that, that we wanted to see. And um, we actually, speaking of small towns, we went to this uh, place, Goldwaith, on the way down to Fredericksburg. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I drove through there, and it's it looked really cool, but I didn't stop. Did you guys stop there? Yeah, we stopped there. Uh, there's really nothing there, but. Um, they do have a welcome center and a garden. Cool. That's next to the wel- welcome center. It's all it's all uh, Texas local plants and set up to um, attract local butterfly and bee species. So okay. it was just neat to see, and I, I, I it was amazing how many butterflies were in it. And so really? Victoria was like, "Oh my gosh, I love this!" And so I was like, "Oh, let's go to the butterfly museum up at in Dallas." And I got into that argument with the dude who was, who was fairly reasonable, but, um, or understanding, I would say not reasonable, yeah. but 
like, cause I got up the thing. I was like, two adults, please. And he was like, uh, you got to wear a mask. If you don't have one, we provide them. And I went, Oh no, no, we don't do that. Two adults, please. And, um, he goes, I- I'm sorry. It's uh, regulation. You've got to. And I said, Oh, uh, regulation by who? And he said, well, you know, it's the policy of the place. And I went, Oh, I see. But you know, the governor said we are not doing mass mandates anymore. And he goes, Oh yeah. But the, the city says that we are doing mass mandates. And, um, I'm trying not to hyperbolize this at all because like I do that a lot, <laughs> but I'm trying to think of exactly what he said. But so anyways, he they basically said that I said, okay, well, but the governor su- supersedes the city and he goes, no, but a federal judge supersedes the governor and a federal judge said that the city can do this. Yes. I mean, and I was like, um, cause the thing is, I don't really, I actually would prefer the localization yeah, me other too. than I don't, other than I don't want to do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, you know, yeah. from a, from a property rights perspective, I mean, it should be up to each individual business, you know, the public stuff yeah. is like kind of a, a, you know, it's a goofy it thing. It is because that's the, yeah. And that was kind of my next line of questioning to him is, is I said, is this a taxpayer, a taxpayer funded facility? And he said, yeah. And I said, so you're denying a taxpayer equal access to the butterfly garden. And he's like, I just and, love that's a great sentence right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and he, he goes, he goes, look, I understand you don't want to wear it. It's 10 feet. You just put it on, walk 10 feet, you'll be outside. And I said, I, I know it's 10 feet. Right. And just left it at that. And he, and he sits there, we sit there staring at each other for, you know, five seconds or something. And he goes, you got to wear a mask. I understand that you don't want to. And I said, okay, well, we don't do that. So I guess we're not going to the butterfly garden and so victoria was uh using the restroom so i just stepped out of line stood next to his desk for five minutes while victoria was was getting finished without a mask breathing inside yep breathing and it's like it's like okay so you want me to do this you you basically you've just lost a sale Mm -hmm. not that it matters to you because you're funded by the city anyways but you've lost a sale i'm still gonna stand here yep nobody's kicking me out my wife's in here breathing all over the bathroom uh, and breathing over the hall, walking back and forth the bathroom. And then as she gets out and she comes over, she goes, oh, did you get us tickets? And I said very loudly, uh, I gave like the, th- the thumb gesture to the door. I said, nope, they're not letting us in without a mask. So we're not staying. And um, we walked out. But it was, it was one of those kind of things where I'm just like, I really hate Dallas now. Yeah, because, me too. Uh, yeah, it sucks. It, Dallas sucks. It, it does. It does. And the thing is, is when I lived there, when I lived downtown, I don't. I think I just kind of like got numb to like the way it works. But now every time I'm there, it's like super stressful because uh, the traffic's bad. Uh, everybody, I when I'm in Fort Worth, I'm never worried about somebody coming up to me and being like, "Sir, you got to wear a mask." No, in dude. Dallas, every single building, I'm worried about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I, I get it that people are like, oh, it's not a big deal. You just got to wear a mask. I don't do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't, like, at this point, like, we're not flying anymore because I'm not wearing a mask to fly. Um, I don't like this. And I'm not doing it. And that's that. Well, I salute you. I have to, if I, if I do fly, I got to, I mean... Sometimes I fly for work, so I, I have to go through, and yeah. it's and it's annoying as shit. I I really really hate it. Um, yeah. it sucks. Well, I, I yeah, I might have to fly. My, my dad's having surgery and uh, on his shoulders, so he mm-hmm. won't have any use of his arms for a while. So I, I might have to fly out to San Diego. 
but I, I also don't want to go to California. That's the other thing too. Like right, my home yeah. state, Jeez. my home state, which I love is, is a nightmare to, to be in, mm-hmm. right now. especially in Southern California. Northern California well, is fine. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit up there, but I'm finding that like basically most states are, I mean, dude, I went down to, I don't, I don't want to drag this episode on, uh, for too long, but I think I was talking about it on TLE. I went down to new Orleans and I was on bourbon yeah. street, bourbon street for God's sake. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's people like throwing up left and right. You know, it's like, it's a total wild west area and people are asking for vaccine passports and you're like, dude, this is just not, this sucks. Like you guys need to get it together. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, it's a nightmare. Like it, like the whole, but, but I think this is kind of adding, you know, not just to the whole Bitcoin thing, but I think the sort of sovereign individualism kind of thing. Where yeah. And then, and then from there outwards, like sovereign communities and things like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I think people are just, they're just over it. They don't want to deal with it anymore. Like if you want to have the, you know, the democratic Republic of Dallas, fine. Uh, just leave me out of it. And yeah, also yeah. Uh, don't steal my money through inflation. Yep. Like, yep. All and right. they won't because we'll, we'll be in Bitcoin. Yep, exactly. <laughs> It'll be yeah, yep. unstealable. Well, um, I think we'll probably leave it there. That's a, a decent sized episode. And I think we got some really good information on the Evergrande. We'll continue to track that. Maybe we can do another episode in a month or two and see yeah. if, if we were right, if we were wrong, or if we're, results are inconclusive. Um, but uh, thanks for joining me, Jake. It's always it's always fun to chit chat and uh, and actually get something down on record because I feel like we do this a lot uh, without actually recording an episode. Yeah. Um, so uh, you want to give plugs? Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, go well. The I, I next week I have a call with the campground that we do Childerberg at, so I should have campground reservations up for Childerberg cool. in the next two weeks or so. Um, we're going to be doing. Uh, reservations a little bit differently this year it's going to it's going to cost for a campsite but it's nominal it doesn't really cost very much but um we're going to have uh we're going to be selling the sites so that we don't have the same situation we had last year where it was kind of like a a weird everybody crowds into one site we're going to kind of spread everybody out but we actually have a lot more space this year so it should be fine um that should be up on the childerberg site starting uh, in October sometime. So I think probably late October we'll, we'll have all that, uh, up on the website. So you'll be able to reserve a spot. It's not going to be RSVP. Like last year was confusing for a lot of people. You'll actually get a spot when you buy it. It'll tell you you, that you have a spot and you'll be able to, uh, arrive and check in and get your campsite so that things can be spread out and we don't get in trouble with the popo. And, um, uh, so Childerberg, check out Childerberg. And then uh, I also do a podcast, Tasting Anarchy with Mason. And um, that comes out mm, infrequently, but <laughs> I try I try to make it happen. Yeah, let's work uh, on that. Let's yeah, work we'll on work that. on that. We'll work on that. So, But check out uh, Tasting Anarchy. You can, you can check out at Childerberg or at Tasting Anarchy and, and reach me if you have any questions or if you uh, have comments or anything like that. Cool. And I'll put in my, my own plug for tasting anarchy. It's low key. One of my favorite podcasts might, might be my favorite podcast to listen to. Oh, nice. Um, Thank it's you. your, it's Jake does a wine and, and, uh, like a wine podcast, but, uh, a lot of the times it's focusing on, um, you know, regulatory issues around, uh, wine and, and, and other such things. So it's, it's just a great podcast. Uh, maybe we'll get you on to TLE whenever you have the art, the, um, stuff up for the campsite on, uh, for Childerberg. And, uh, 
and so that we can get everybody plugged into that that's going to be that's just going to be so much fun this year it's going to be so much fun yeah. i'm very much looking I, yeah. forward to that it's gonna be great yeah uh, I, I think so too i think i think it's going to be a little bit easier this year um financially if we sort of sell the sites i mean every i would say average we had 250 people we've raised tons of money for free ross i think it'll just be easier if we kind of like even that out by selling the sites and then um which is sort of like a minimal, I guess I would say it was a minimum donation because as soon as the costs are covered, everything goes yeah. to free Ross. And well, we they're right. Yeah. A lot for, I think, 1400 this year for free Ross. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. If I remember something like that. Well, and that's the thing. It's like you, because you're putting up so much money up front, you make it back eventually, but that's six months where you're out of your money. And it's like, there's no yeah. reason that people shouldn't be uh, throwing a nominal amount of money down. It also like helps other, you know, people to act, commit to coming if they say they're going to go rather than just like a free RSVP and yeah. then like nobody really but, cares. Yeah. I think the main reason and, and Robbie the fire who was one of the comedians at Childerberg three um, brought up was that um, it's less confusing to people if they have something that tells them what they're supposed to do. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like people would show up and they'd be like, I don't know where to camp. And then they would just set up on a spot and we were on other people's spots. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. and then the, and then I had to deal with the ranger as he came around was like, you guys are crowded and stuff and stuff. So it's just going to make it a little bit easier. It also, I think it'll just make it less confusing so that people know when I get there, I've got a spot. I know where to go. I know where to set up my tent and all that sort of stuff. And that'll just make everything, everything a little bit easier. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, put a pin in it, and uh, we'll chat soon. I'm sure. Maybe we'll revisit Evergrande, and we'll definitely talk about Childerberg when that goes up. Uh, and until next month, eskeet it.